Hi everyone, David here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. If you like what you hear, I want access to more of our fascinating in-depth content on the energy transition, you need to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for just 29 euros, which will get you full access to our website and app. We also have a wide range of subscription packages to fit you or your company's needs. Follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to Energy Enablers, a new podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. My name is David Weston. I'm the editor-in-chief here at Foresight and host of Energy Enablers. In this podcast series, we want to talk to the influential people making a real-world difference to the energy transition. Hopefully not just your usual suspects, but people working every day to decarbonise our world. We also want to delve into their backstory a little bit, discuss what motivates them and how they think the transition is going. My guest today is Johan Soderbom, thematic leader of Smart Grids and Storage at EIT Inno Energy. We discuss the role storage can play in the energy transition, particularly focusing on long-term storage, a barrier yet to be solved, and why reducing demand will help reduce the need for storage solutions. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Johan Soderbaum from EIT Inno Energy. Thank you so much for joining us on Energy Enablers. Today, we want to talk about the role of uh, energy storage in the energy transition. Um, a lot of people talking about how energy storage is an important role uh, in sort of balancing renewables and uh, flexible generation. Do you believe the predictions for the need of storage are perhaps overestimated by some? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here to, to talk about this, these things that I... Uh, I'm really interested in, and uh, it's part of my job, of course. So, so that uh, helps. But, but um, uh, I mean, if we look at the transition of the system, it's fairly logical that uh, we need to uh, have storage in some form in, in the future system. We are adding a lot of, uh, in a rapid uh, tempo as well, are we adding a lot of renewables to the system that uh, is not as controllable as the, the traditional system was before. So from, from that perspective, it's pretty sure that uh, we would need some storage. And we already have storage in, in, in the system as it is of today. Uh, talking about uh, If I just look at the electricity system, there's a fair amount of storage as it is of today. Both the type we see in, in uh, uh, conventional hydropower, for example, where we store it in water, where it's... Uh, or in snow, even in, in the Nordics, uh, but uh, but also in pumped hydro, for example. So so uh, it's been a uh, essential part of the of the grid uh, uh, for for many 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 years. So, but uh, uh, since we are phasing out the the classical uh, uh, controllable fossil fuels, then then we definitely need to 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 add storage to it. But what type of storage? It's perhaps not that uh, uh, clear yet. Uh, it's uh, uh, for for one thing, if uh, the uh, one way of looking at it is that uh, if we add a lot of wind and sun, uh, we uh, natural feel that we have issues with no wind and no sun at uh, longer or shorter periods. And in in that respect, uh, adding uh, storage capacity to, to the grid might seem a bit challenging. But then we have to remember, at least if we look at the, the European grid, is that it's uh, uh, one thing that is uh, uh, very nice about that system is that it's it's a big system. 
we 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 are covering uh, uh, we have a synchronous system which cover continental Europe but, and also to some extent northern Africa in that respect. So we are we are interconnected in a very very good way. Which means that that is perhaps taking that is taking a bit of, of the need for, for for the real long time storage out of it. So, so what what I see and what we are looking at right now at from from Inno Energy and from from a, a strategic perspective, innovation perspective is that uh, uh, we uh, we will have to add batteries to the system, and we and that we know how to do today. But we need also to to look for for a certain amount of long term storage for 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 the system as well. So. Surely, having more storage on the on the system is better. And the more the more storage, the better, and the the more flexible the the system can be. Uh, yeah, that's a simplistic way of looking at it. Maybe I mean there are several other ways of of addressing the a stable system uh, for the future, and uh, from from a uh, economical perspective it's probably there are several ways of, of minimizing the total cost of the system if we just look it look at it as a as a, a mathematical problem then uh, you might end up in or you end up in a situation where it's probably a little better to build overbuild the the renewable that we we enter into the system to some extent and add a, a storage capacity to that. So, so we will end up in some sort of a minimum of storage capacity and, and uh, uh, overbuilding the system that is minimizing the cost. Uh, so this is a very popular way of, of looking at things if you look at the different, different uh, research studies that, that's been, been made in, in, in uh, both Europe as well as in, in other parts of the world where you're adding storage to the system. Uh, there might be some challenges of that because it requires a system where someone is paying for building out overcapacity, for example, uh, without being entirely sure that you get uh, uh, um, uh, that you earn money from from all of that capacity. So, do you think the need for storage and the level of storage will will change depending on where you are in the world? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh, again, there's been been some uh, there have been several of these studies, but uh, I've been we've been um, having a collaboration with a company in Norway uh, called Rystad Energy that is doing quite interesting studies here. Uh, these are the guys that also are are predicting a, a slightly higher level of store need for storage in in the system than than most other uh, of these uh, intelligence companies are doing, but. Uh, uh, looking at their uh, predictions is that uh, if you uh, if you compare, for example, uh, Europe to Japan, uh, then uh, the European system is uh, uh, at least historically, if you look at it, uh, uh, the renewables that we have in the system already, the way they are placed uh, across Europe and the way we are interconnected. Uh, actually uh, is quite well in phase with the demand curve that we see. So that, that means that if we just uh, increase the level of, of uh, uh, renewables that we have today, then it will match the, the, the demand side quite well. So uh, from, from these fairly simple uh, exp- simulations that, uh, that's been done, there at least no uh, really dramatic uh, 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 deficits over half a year or something like that can be shown. So it's rather within uh, uh, weeks or, or something like that that you need to have. If you do exactly the same uh, simulation for Japan, for example, which is an island system, 
uh, then you see much worse situation. That uh, uh, you need substantially more overbuild of the system uh, or, or uh, substantially more uh, storage needed to, to to add that. So again, Europe is fairly well off in, in that respect. So. Now we've mentioned just storage uh, so far in this conversation. Is that batteries? Is that other forms of storage? Where is the sort of future of storage taking us? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, uh, looking again a little bit historical. Uh, historically, on that, uh, the, uh, somewhere around 95% of the, the pure, the, the dedicated stores that you see in the system today, that's hydropower, pumped hydropower. So it's a classical way of doing it. I mean, hydropower has been around for hundreds, hundreds of years, so, so, and, and pumped hydro for almost as long. So uh, that's something we know how to do it. Uh, the problem there is that uh, perhaps uh, there's not that many sites available for for building uh, new pumped hydro. Uh, you might have to go to the classical uh, hydropower stations that we have today, and they are not maybe not so suited for that. Uh, so uh, uh, there there is a need for new uh, um, uh, new storage capacity in some way. Uh, so uh, in that respect, uh, we see batteries, uh, which has been uh, coming uh, big time lately. And uh, uh, the main reason for that is, of course, that the automotive industry has been pushing uh, electric vehicles, which means that uh, we know how to manufacture them today. So there's a, a very uh, good uh, understanding of the cost of, of, of batteries for, for energy storage. Uh, but... Uh, uh, today, uh, uh, what we see when it, it's battery uh, installed capacity for storage, and then it's sort of like two hours, three hours, so maybe four hours storage that is deployed in, in the form of batteries. But uh, there are technologies that are addressing the, the, the more long-term, uh, long-duration storage as well. And that would be, for example, uh, uh, flow batteries, which is a technology where you have... Uh, uh, essentially store stored the energy separately in, in electrolytes in tanks. So it's a flowing bat, uh, electrolyte. And you have a, a power unit that is separated from that. So, so that, that's a technology that we see uh, being developed today. Uh, and we also see uh, uh, more exotic, uh, I shouldn't say exotic, but more, more uh, unusual uh, approaches that would be, for example, uh, uh, um, uh, pumped hydro, but in mines, uh, so you not uh, you don't need to to cut the top of a mountain, but you can actually utilize the already existing uh, brownfields such as mines. So. Yeah, hydro is a really interesting uh, topic. I guess part of the thing with hydro is you need the right geography, uh, and there are obviously parts of Europe where those geographies don't exist. So how will they these parts of the world um, be able to interact with sort of a long long duration storage and what do you mean by long duration storage anything sort of six hours plus yeah i think we have to to go for six to eight hours plus and that's long duration and and not all type of long duration storage is, is suitable for for all applications so again it's uh, you need to choose there but but um uh the the uh, uh, if you were referring to, to, to pumped hydro as not uh, being uh, possible to deploy everywhere, again, uh, interesting case about this mine uh, application is that there's a huge amount of mines in the world. 
there's a million used mines at least in the world that that and not at all of them can be used but they are uh, distributed across all geographies in that respect so and they can compare quite favorably on terms of price uh, again, interesting question, because if you look at the battery, at the, the, the ones that we see today that's coming out of the automotive industry, that they have a life length, cycle life length, how, how many times you can run them up and down that lasts for in a, in a storage uh, uh, for the grid that would last for somewhere t- 10 to 12 years or something like that. So of course you have to make a business case where where you, where you have a levelized cost of storage that uh, is based on, on on that investment cycle. But if you look at the other type of, of storage uh, facilities uh, that goes both for uh, flow uh, flow batteries as well as for for uh, hydropower that that's they have a much longer lifetime, but also a much higher uh, capex uh, mm-hmm. investment. So so it's a bit hard to compare these things, but. Uh, one thing is that you really need to understand what type of, of storage that you're deploying and how that is going to be able to be used in the future as well. Because it's, uh, uh, if, you, uh, if you have something that lasts for 40 years, you need to be able to uh, ensure that it also can cover its uh, cost or, or uh, serve its a new purpose in the future when, when, when the demand is changing. So We focused a lot on sort of electricity storage as electricity uh, i know hydro storage is kind of more potential storage is there um opportunities within sort of the heating sector and a greater integration of heating and and electricity uh for the heating sector to provide storage services absolutely uh, that it's an extremely good point i mean looking at the how energy is used today it's uh, 50% of it is used for for heating or cooling so there's a, a, a massive opportunity to, to address uh, the, this, uh, uh, the question of heating without going to electricity uh, as, a, as an energy carrier. So if you look at the uh, district heating system, for example, they are uh, generally you have a boiler somewhere, which is today uh, still uh, to a large extent in Europe, it's uh, fired by, by fossil fuels, either gas or, or even uh, still by, by coal in some instances. And uh, it's actually quite an, a, a good opportunity to, to replace those boilers with uh, solar heating, for example. Uh, there's other opportunities as well. But if you go for solar heating, which is a uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but it's a fairly low-tech solution. Uh, it's uh, compared to other technologies. Cost. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in that respect, it's uh, you need some sort of of energy storage, and that's in heat. And that means that you have to store the heat probably across uh, over the seasons as well. And uh, again, there there's also some some development going on on that. You need to be able to 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 use, uh, uh, for example, bedrock, and then you need to, to uh, drill in that or you need to frack it or something like that. So there are technologies that, that's coming along today that's looking at this. So, so I, I think it's a, that's a, a very attractive way of, of, of decarbonizing the, the heating sector there. So. Hi, everyone. Me again. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out means we can make more shows like this and means more people can find us. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. 
head to the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. These sort of storage solutions, uh, so we mentioned heat storage, um, hydro, hydro um, they obviously have their benefits compared to, say, battery storage uh, in the sense that they don't use quite as many materials and they're quite understood already um, in terms of the, the physics behind them and the chemistries behind them as well. As the storage demand for storage increases and it seems that batteries are sort of still the main growth sector of storage, how do you see the supply chain coping with this demand for rare earth metals and do you can you see a market for recycled batteries and those sort of things have, um, growing in the next sort of decade or so? Absolutely. Uh, I think if we look at recycling, that will be absolutely necessary in order to, to be able to save the situation uh, because the, the, the dominating chemistry today in, in batteries, that's, that's the lithium family of batteries. And that, that's lithium is... Uh, uh, today, at least the refining of lithium is completely controlled by Asian players and, and by China, I should say. And uh, uh, without uh, discussing uh, any future politics on that, it's still not very good to be so dependent as we are on, on, on one state. And that goes almost for all of the, the me- metals that goes into batteries today. I mean, on the, on the cathode side, you have nickel, you have manganese and, and cobalt. And, and all of these are either a bit uh, uh, troublesome materials or it's something that's already scarce in some way. So, so uh, it, uh, it, it is uh, absolutely necessary that we, we get the re- recycling going on, on this. But uh, I'm not so worried there because uh, if we look at the... The, the battery cell manufacturing that's being set up today in, in Europe, uh, that uh, uh, has been uh, from the beginning understood that it's necessary to be able to just take care of the scrap coming out of, of the, the factory, the manufacturing, in order to, to uh, uh, reuse the materials in that way. And uh, we have uh, been quite... Uh, uh, um, progressive on that in Europe as well when it comes to, to how we, we want to uh, regulate the, the use of batteries. So there is a new battery leg- regulation that's actually been adopted uh, and will be uh, it will be adopted in, in the beginning of next year. And that is very clear on, on both second use, if possible, of, of batteries uh, uh, that's being put on the market, but, but, but uh, mainly on the recycling. So uh, so it's uh, uh, th- that's that's moving along quite nicely. So so, but but the the other thing is that um, even if we have full recycling, it's uh, okay. You get some some back from from the scrap from the factories, but still, it's a huge demand that's increasing all the time. So so, there will be a, a big need for for new materials, and that probably opens for some new chemistries that we can can expect to be seeing see uh, in in the coming years when it comes to batteries and one extreme one, one very good candidate there is sodium ion batteries uh, which uh, uh, has been uh, around for a long time but uh, where the lithium ion uh, got the longest straw or what do you call it short longest straw uh, they won the race uh, 20 years ago but uh, there are several manufacturers now from sodium ion, which is a very abundant material. So, 
uh, that uh, is uh, entering into the market. I know, uh, I hope I'm not going to put words into your mouth here, but I know you're a proponent of, uh, we talked about sort of the difficulties of growing storage capacity uh, specifically in Europe. So, you know, hydro is quite difficult, perhaps uh, finding the right places for it. Um, battery technologies are at risk of supply chain issues and, and things like that. By reducing the demand for storage, that, that will help alleviate some of these issues. And you're quite a proponent of doing that. And how do we go about doing that? Yeah, very good point. Uh, I should have brought that up when we talked about the, the need for, for storage because it's uh, looking at the, the, um, uh, the generation um, pattern for, for uh, renewables, uh, wind and solar. Solar is fairly uh, uh, predictable. Wind, uh, not so much, uh, uh, or forecast-wise, it's it's uh, we're quite good at it. But still, where you end in the, up in situation where where you don't have wind, and uh, if we can add uh, uh, generation capacity to the to the grid, that really is not uh, is out of phase to, to so to say uh, compared to solar and wind. Then uh, we are definitely taking the, the edge out of the need of, of uh, storage. And, and one technology that has been, it's been around for some time, but uh, it looks like it's going to be uh, uh, properly entering the mar- market now. It's uh, um, ocean power, wave power, both, um, both uh, from waves as wave power, but also from tidal, uh, where you can actually harvest the. the uh, the energy in the waves and and the waves are not uh, of course they're dependent on wind but not uh, locally in in the way same way as as the wind power uh, park would be so so a combination of a wind power park and a, a wave field wave uh, uh, energy field that's that's excellent you can share the the connections the the, the grid connections and you're also uh, evening out the the uh, the, the production uh, variations from, from that side so you, you can see a um, future of sort of hybrid generation projects. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think that's that's excellent for that, and and uh, and I, I would expect, suspect that uh, it's sort of the same thing for uh, uh, if you uh, uh, go for uh, tidal uh, as well. Mm. You you can use this as hybrid installations at least. So. But there's there's another thing that that uh, sort of help can help here, which is uh, really low-hanging fruit. And that's, of course, uh, demand uh, response uh, act, uh, in different ways. And we are moving into to a time now when, when uh, uh, we get uh, several new uh, uh, high-consumption devices in, in, in our household, such as electric vehicles or, or heat pumps, which is an excellent way to, to, to transition away from gas heating, for example. And uh, uh, these uh, devices or, or, or loads in the grid, they, I mean, they are modern stuff. So uh, from that perspective, you, you, it's fairly easy to control them in different ways. So just by shifting the, uh, uh, the, the when you are charging your vehicle, for example, to uh, low load hours, uh, it's a, a tremendous uh, uh, good way of actually uh, taking the edge of the need of storage. So within uh, within a um, uh, and that even without having the more fancy stuff as vehicle to grid, 
just by by shifting the the time when you charge it's uh, it's doing a lot so and we, we can actually see that in in uh, in uh, different markets in Europe where you actually have a penetration of of uh, the um, hourly uh, costs uh, towards the customer that this is happening extremely rapidly it's very very easy to control your vehicle you don't have to turn it on yourself you just put it on a schedule for for the day ahead cost uh, on the market you know that a day ahead and uh, you charge it at low uh, cost hours and the important thing here is that you have a type of electricity contract with your your uh, retailer electricity retailer that is based on hourly uh, charging so uh, so uh, with now in these times when we have extremely high fluctuations on the market we can see that this has happened very very quickly i can see it here in sweden and uh, we see it in norway and and uk where you ha- have this type of, of contract uh, construction so surely though if uh, as evs uh, given this example grow and become more um, prominent in society and if everyone then starts shifting their demand to low cost hours, which normally times at low generation times, is that going to create difficulties for grid operators and overload the grid? Uh, uh, there's a risk for that, of course. It's it's an interesting uh, uh, development because uh, today the the price signals coming from from uh, uh, from the generation side. So uh, and that's good, of course, if you have a low generation that you you, you uh, uh, have a high price and you don't uh, charge or or if you can avoid running your heat pump at that time, uh, that uh, forces you to to use the the uh, the hours where you have a high uh, generation capacity in 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 uh, that uh, specific area. However, that might be. Uh, um, not uh, the same as uh, the best uh, hours for for the grid. You might even create your own congestion there. But from a uh, control perspective, this is not that complicated to to handle. It's easier than building uh, a lot of new uh, storage facilities, I would say that. You mentioned the sort of, we've been talking about demand side flexibility here and the, the role that perhaps end users can play a lot more. This goes a step further than simply being more energy efficient um, and having having actually more tools available to to kind of influence your uh, power usage. Mm. I, 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 it's sort of two different things: uh, being more energy efficient and, and shifting your your consumption pattern. Uh, they generally go hand in hand because it's. Uh, uh, lowering the total consumption, and that's no matter where you private consumer or if you're an industry or or, or facility or something like that. That that's that's good because you it's good for society, it's good for your your wallet as well. But uh, uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, of the electricity market as it works today. Uh, someone might get uh, mad at that, but but uh, having price signals that's actually penetrating all the way out to the end consumer. It's excellent, good because that that really uh, makes uh, uh, opens for uh, um, you yourself uh, taking some action, but also for a lot of innovations that's coming on the market and that can actually do this for you. So, all these demand response systems that's been been uh, uh, 
uh, we've seen around for many, many years. They all of a sudden, they pay off in, in a couple of months if you install them and, and start running them in, in, in this type of scheme. So, How far do you think all of these current technologies that we have today can take us in the energy transition or to a, at least a net zero scenario or a decarbonized energy system scenario? Uh, it's uh, that's a very good question because uh, I mean if uh, we can see that what has happened on on the uh, on generation side on 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 mainly on solar and, and wind uh, where you have a, had a enormous decrease in the cost, uh, however you measure it, if it's on the levelized cost of, of energy or if it's uh, capex or, or uh, directly or, or how you see. That, that that is completely amazing how, how the cost has has uh, uh, decreased there. So so the industrialization there has has come come uh, very very far. Uh, that same thing is happening to batteries now. Uh, there's still some ways to go there. Uh, so so but uh, on the other hand, uh, 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 EIA is saying that uh, in some report that. Uh, uh, I, I don't recall the number, but somewhere around twenty percent of, of of the of the new capacity uh, or the energy uh, uh, preservation that we need to be made that hasn't been uh, at least not industrialized yet. It's probably invented, but uh, there's some ways to go in, in in a lot of technologies. And if we look at storage, for example, there's uh, still quite some way to go when it comes to, to flow batteries, for example, that we talked about earlier. Uh, and uh, uh, I would uh, say that also alternative chemistries to, uh, to uh, lithium-ion, there, there are some uh, more, uh, both uh, uh, research that needs to be done, but most of all, I would say uh, industrialization on that side. So setting up value chains and so on to, to get things going. So. So do you think we'll be able to get to a 100% decarbonized energy system, maybe net zero at least, with the current technologies? Or are there more technologies we think that will be developed that we don't know of yet to help us reach those goals? I'm pretty sure that we can reach that with the technologies that we have that are, are uh, CO2 neutral. Uh, then there could be better alternatives. I mean, uh, just lately we've seen some... some uh, 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 big steps if not breakthroughs on fusion mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, but i mean it's something that is uh, some quite some years ahead uh, so it's right. but uh, uh, we we certainly need to to still uh, put uh, effort and, and resources into innovations and, and research on, in the area so it's uh, we can't just say that enough is enough and start <laughs> and believe that it will work out. We need to, to continue the research and innovation there. So. Before we go today, thank you so much for your time. I'd be really interested to learn a little bit more about your journey and uh, when did you first sort of become interested in the energy sector uh, and more specifically energy storage? Yeah, I'm, I have quite a long history in, in, on the, in this area. I've been working, um, now I'm with InnoEnergy and and. Uh, prior to that, I was at the research institute in Sweden, and before that, I, I had many years at uh, a utility in Northern Europe, and uh, uh, I was working on on research and development uh, uh, in different positions in research and development, and uh, somewhere around two thousand five, 
a little bit earlier, uh, uh, when the electricity was really inexpensive and uh, uh, there was a lot of discussions on, on how to make money of, from, from that in, in, in our company, uh, we started looking to, to uh, electric vehicles uh, as a new off-taker for electricity. Uh, I, just a side note, if you look at all the forecasting today in, in most of Europe, we, we're looking at doubling the, the demand for electricity uh, up to 2040 or something. At that point, right. it was uh, rather the other, other way around. So, so there was some, some, uh, a lot of thinking going on how to, to actually make people use electricity for new, new applications. So, so electric vehicles started to come up on the, on the horizon again. Uh, that's probably the third or fourth time uh, since, since it was invented. But at that time, uh, uh, I got involved and were running a, a number of projects uh, for, for Vattenfall to, to look at um, okay. uh, new generation of electric vehicles. So in that respect, uh, I, I ended up in that situation. And then I've been working with the grid issues. So we sort of potential for vehicle to grid, integrating the vehicles in the future into the grid so they, they could contribute. Mm-hmm. Looking at uh, uh, understanding that the, the battery costs would go down dramatically. Uh, then we were started to look at the um, uh, uh, ES energy uh, battery storage facilities uh, uh, for different purposes uh, for for uh, frequency stabilization, but also for managing uh, uh, island uh, systems and so on. And then uh, uh, it's just been continuing. I've been perhaps more and more interested in in the total uh, system perspective of decarbonization in in, in the later years, but. Uh, Ending up at the end is uh, quite uh, interesting, actually, because I get a very, very broad perspective of this and, and have the opportunity to see a lot of uh, both, uh, uh, more, I should say, more or less uh, uh, good uh, innovations in this area. So. Absolutely. Amazing. Do you have any advice for anyone, uh, the next generation coming into the industry? Uh, and why should they be working in the energy industry today? Uh, I mean, it's uh, for for me. It's of course that it's uh, extremely interesting, and it's something that that's happening uh, very very quickly. And uh, uh, there might be some some uh, uh, legacy left saying that this is a, a very slow and and boring industry, but it's not. Things are going very very quickly here, and this is where you see a huge amount of, of uh, innovations going on. And uh, looking at it from, from my perspective now, when you have a, uh, uh, um, uh, where I'm looking at the startup scene uh, in this area, this is actually where mm. you still see a lot of, of uh, uh, investors that are attracted to this area. Uh, okay. So uh, it, it's uh, uh, one of the, f- say that but one of the areas that are still actually quite uh, bustling with activities uh, and investors and new uh, startups and, and uh, big incumbents that are looking at uh, what's happening and trying to to cope with it and uh, being either a little bit scared or, or trying to embrace it mm-hmm. in a different ways. so things are happening quickly in the areas and that's yeah. very exciting um just finally then very big question Will the energy transition yeah. succeed? Why? Uh, we are. Uh, it's not possible to, to turn around now. So that's that's really uh, one thing. Is of course the, the 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 climate shift that we have. But 
uh, I think the, the main reason why, why I answered this very, very uh, fast is that the industry has already changed. Uh, if you look at uh, investments in, in uh, electric vehicles, uh, look at uh, uh, turning the steel industry around towards uh, carbon dioxide free steel, uh, the the entire business of, of uh, um, wind power and all of that it's so much uh, invested in this now so it's not possible to turn the, the economy around again so absolutely uh, Johan Söderbom from EIT Inno Energy thank you so much for your time today and joining us on Energy Enablers thank you that's all for this week thank you so much to Johan for taking part in Energy Enablers I particularly enjoyed hearing from Johan about the new battery chemistries being developed and how recycling is going to play a really crucial role in the battery sector. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening so more people can find us. If you're new to Foresight, make sure you check out our other podcasts. You'll find me, Jan Rosner and Michaela Hull on What Matters, grilling energy experts on the most pressing issues of the transition. While our policy editor, Sam Morgan, hosts Policy Dispatch, speaking to lawmakers and other clever policy people about all things energy. You can listen to those on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. You will find more of our in-depth journalism at www.foresightdk.com, where you can also learn about our subscription packages. Until next time, I'm David Wesson. Thanks for listening.